Oh, oh, that is so irritating. And you know what I do? Every time I give a lecture, I say, okay, I'm going to save this lecture on the spot where I can find it very easily. And I never do. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I know I gave that lecture somewhere, but where is it? I know, I know. Susan's probably really organized. But I will send you a, a list of places you can purchase the book, pre-order the book that you can awesome. put up. So. That's great. That's great. And, a, okay. and a, a good picture of it. Perfect. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and... <laughs> We're recording this um, episode on Zoom, and my mouth was open there because I thought Yola was going to make me jump in and do the intro, and and he surprised me. You you must just like lay awake at night um, in anticipation of what's yes. going to happen. Absolutely. But who are we speaking to? Ah, uh, we are so lucky. We have part two with Dr. Deborah Horowitz, yes. who is uh, one of the one of the authors of Decoding Your Cat that we talked about in last week's episode. But Dr. Susan, you didn't introduce yourself because you were laughing so much. Did you ask me to introduce me? I'm so yes, anxious of course. to get to... Normally we do like, hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirkson, and then you say, hello, this is Dr. Oh, Susan. Oh, I didn't say that? No. Okay, hi, I'm Dr. Susan Little. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so we're very excited. We're decoding the cats uh, with a very, very famous cat of cat lover, <laughs> owner, behaviorist, um, and so happy to have you back on the show. I'm so excited to be here. My very first pet that what made me want to be a veterinarian were cats. I've always had cats, except when I owned a Westie. Sorry to say the name, but he did not like cats. It was a sad time in my life. <laughs> oh, yes, that would be. It so is. One, of, one of the chapters is called Social Butterflies. I love that. I love that uh, description. Well, you know, another myth is that cats are antisocial, and that's just not true. Cats have a very flexible social structure. They're capable of living all by themselves, and they don't necessarily mind that. Um, and when they're not in our homes, cats can be solitary and they can live in groups. And when they live in groups. They usually do it around aggregated food resources. So there's a lot of food plant there. And we know by how fat our cats are that they now live in places with aggregated food resources. But they are social. They do like living with other cats. But they need to know those other cats. And one thing we do know from watching them in their feral situation is that cats live with related females, mothers, sisters, aunts, and their female offspring. And the juvenile males stay for a while and then they leave. So the bonds that they form are very strong, but they're usually strong with animals or cats that they already know. And yeah. we're trying to help people say, yes, they can be social, but you have to understand what those parameters are. And yeah. the other thing is we know cats have different personalities too. What do you think about you? So you adopted siblings, right? Your, your two Dev and Rex kitties are siblings. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm assuming that you think it's a good idea to adopt siblings. Is that, is that right? 
Well, I'll tell you the story. I was only going to get one kitten. And I went, there were four in the litter, and there were, uh, I think there were two torties, and then you have another one. She's fast asleep. She's a good cat. Um, <laughs> and so I picked her out, and, and I wanted, this is another interesting factoid, because the socialization period in cats is from three to nine, maybe to 12 weeks. But the socialization time to humans kind of peaks at seven to eight weeks. Mm. And I wanted to bring the cat home early because you may not believe it, but I have seven grandchildren. And so I wanted the kitten to be used to all these ch little kids. So I only got one. And as I was bringing her home, I said, oh, I wonder if I should have gotten two. And they were all taken. And one she was keeping because she wanted, you, you can help explain this, Susan. She wanted a different blood type for her donor group. Yep. And she was still too young. So she called me a month. She, she actually called me when I was speaking with you and said, um, I'm not keeping that kitten. Do you want her? And I said, yeah. So I brought her home. And um, they're both so happy to have each other. Mm. You know, I go away and I travel. Um, I've always had two cats whenever I've had cats, but I've never had siblings before. And the bond between the siblings is really something else. And it is also fun to see how different they are. I thought the torty one didn't have whiskers because she hardly had any facial whiskers until I saw that her sister was licking them off when they were kittens. She would lick her face so hard and grab them and pull them out that yeah. she didn't have whiskers till she was about five or six months old. That's so not the behavior I, I've seen occasionally. It's kind of curious behavior, right? When one cat grooms away the other cat's whiskers. I might was just, I'd never seen that. And then the other cat was obsessed with the tortoise ears. They, they had to be spotlessly clean all the time. So I even felt that I learned a lot about cats having siblings because they are different than two cats that are not related. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that, that, that's really cool. So um, in, in one of the chapters obviously talks also about living with multiple cats uh, compared to living with one cat. And we talked about last time a little bit that probably most cat owners have multiple cats. Right. Um, I don't think that that many people will have multiple cats from one family. So, no. so how do you deal with multiple cats or maybe bringing even a new cat into a already established cat family? If I had my way, I would ask pet owners, why are you getting another cat? In fact, I have. And most of them say, I want another cat. And so I ask them, do you think your cats want another cat? <laughs> and they've never thought about that. And I'm not trying to be prickly about it. But even cats who aren't related do form relationships they may really like each other and sleep together, as we mentioned before. They may tolerate each other, and they may still groom each other and be near each other a lot. Um, and they formed, hopefully, a group that functions. And if you have a group that functions, why are you bringing in another cat? Because we know cats that live in groups 
not with humans, like in a dairy barn or something like that, they repel outsiders. Mm -hmm. So I want people to understand that that's normal cat behavior to do that. Mm -hmm. But if you have a young cat that is really lively, it is kind of making you upset because their activity is taken out on all your belongings. That might be a good time to get another cat because if they're aged appropriate, then they'll play with each other. But if you have a very old cat that lost a very cherished housemate, same age, they may not want another cat, maybe not right away, maybe not ever. So I tell them that if you're gonna do that, you need to be prepared for it to take a long time. So that's a long way to get to the answer to your question, but I suggest you always set up a separate room for that cat. It may live there on, you know, 75% of the time for maybe a month till they really get used to each other. It doesn't hurt to take it slow. Research tells us that if there is aggression at the first introduction, especially if there's a fight or injury, those cats probably aren't ever going to get along. So that's really something you need to know. Yeah, that, that, that's really, really neat to hear. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and so I, I always wonder how in nature then it happens because cats obviously are attracted to certain individuals, how they expand their gene pool. Do they allow other male cats to enter the community for just a very short time and then kick them out again after the deed has been done? Or how, how, how does mother nature take care of That's too a much great instance? question. That's a great question. The juvenile males in a pretty large um, aggregation of cats will eventually leave. They're, they're driven away because they, the females won't let them breed with, that, with them. A big aggregation of cats usually has more than one time if it's big enough. If it's small, there's one Tom. And he might monopolize those cats for a year, but he doesn't stay. He's not, he's not involved in the day-to-day caretaking of the nest or any of that kind of stuff. So it just depends. If he is aware they're ready to be bred again, then he comes back. If he fights off any takers, then... But cats it can be bred more than once during their heat cycle. So that's another possibility. Um, if the tomcat, and this does take place, if the tomcat is breeding another female in his group, then a, another tomcat that's hanging around may sneak in and, and have a little whoopee party with another female. So that's how they um, keep their gene pool strong. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and on an island situation, you have that problem though. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. One of the things that we um, were ending on that I want to pick up on again at uh, the end of the last episode was the importance that of cats needing to feel safe. So we we Mm -hmm. kind of ended on the idea that yes, we all think of cats as hunters, but they have a another side to their psyche, um, and that is that they're also uh, prey animals. So they they have a bit of a uh, a dual personality, if you will. So safety is really important to them, right? So what makes a cat feel safe? I think animals in general and cats in particular feel safe when things are predictable and they have some control. Control, we don't, we don't accede enough control to our pets and that makes them feel unsafe. They, I always say nobody likes change unless it's their idea and cats are no different. So a good example is why does my cat put up such a fuss when I take out 
um, the cat carrier. Well, think about it. This is, it may be because it's related to the car ride, which they don't like in the trip to the veterinarian. That's possible. But once they're in there, they can't get away. And they have a really poor track record of being in there and it being safe. <laughs> so you can make them feel safe with their cat carrier by leaving it out all the time. Their best blanket inside and treats go inside. And if 95% of the time they're safe in the carrier, if 5% of the time it's not safe, you're not gonna undo all of that. They feel safe when they can get up someplace high. So they like to be up high where they can watch everything. They feel safe when they have choices. If you have one cat, maybe one food bowl. But as they get older, um, and you know this better than I do, arthritis is a huge thing. We have a whole chapter on old cats. It's a huge thing in old cats, but they still want to sleep on the bed because it's the most comfy place. But if their food bowls and litter boxes are downstairs, or maybe even in the basement, then you've made them less safe and more likely to do the wrong thing because they have to go too far. So safety is relative for cats, and um, and they have to be safe from children. Yeah. The children have to know how to uh, interact with them, how to touch them, how to pick them up, and that they're never scared by the kids. But it's really, I think, when you really, really scare a cat, it's very hard to re reverse. Good memories. Good memories. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that also probably probably has to do with the fact that, or is an explanation why people do not want to bring their cats to the vet. So, can you talk a little bit about that? What what we could do as owners or as veterinarians to make it a little bit easier to go to the vet? Oh, I don't have some with me, but the first thing is the carrier. I usually leave the carrier out all the time, but my kittens, I had one carrier soft-sided and they more or less destroyed it by playing, you know, king of the hill, <laughs> get the one inside. I bought a new cat carrier, which um, I use to travel with them and has wheels on it. So about every two months, I bring it out, I put treats in it, I put it in different rooms, they get in and out, they sleep in it. And uh, just today, this is an interesting story. So they're so used to crates. I wanted to take my cats outside because it's so nice out. And, um, but I don't have anything to take them out in. And I found this mesh, it, it's nylon with mesh sides that was my car crate from, from my D animal. And I brought it up into my kitchen. They both just ran inside. They just ran inside. So I zipped it up and took them outside and put them on the patio and they were ecstatic. So they trusted that, you know, something like this doesn't mean bad stuff. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, they should know their cat's temperament. And if it doesn't like to be waiting in the waiting room, it should wait in a car or go right into an exam room. And the third thing, and I thought about this, I forgot. Um, are you aware of Chiru, Susan? Yes. Yes. Okay, there is a, it's, it's a treat that comes in a dispensable pack. I, I usually keep one up here because sometimes I have to get my cats to do stuff that they don't want to do. Um, like a squeezable treat in a little package. Squeezable treat, it's somewhere between applesauce and um, mayonnaise. And it's in all sorts of great flavors. And when my cats were kittens, that's how they got in the crate with treats and that. And then when they went for their first kitten visits, they were just eating the churu 
the whole time. They were getting vaccines, they were looking at it. And what's nice about it is they lick it. And if you know cats at all, it takes them a long time to pick something up. They have to look at it, they have to smell it. They might decide it doesn't smell right. They pick it up, they spit it out. But the Chiru, they love it and they just lick it, lick it. And so I would say that offering them something really good is important. And then knowing your cat. If your cat doesn't like to be picked up, get a carrier that comes apart so it can be examined inside the carrier. And any veterinarian can do that. If, even if the cat's really sick, they can do that. And um, if you think your cat's uncomfortable, say something yeah. and let them know. Yeah. And, and they'll stop. But there's no reason why, my, my, they don't mind going there. They actually were there to be spayed and they turned it out. I think I, I emailed you, they had high liver enzymes. Yeah. I was out of town speaking. So they stayed there for a week. <laughs> they, loved it. They, they loved it. They put them in an exam room. They let them play. They were spoiled. So maybe everyone should leave their cat <laughs> for a week. They just loved it there. Yeah. I, I think it's a good point, though, to encourage owners to speak up, you know, and, and talk to the veterinarian and say, you know, it's because the veterinarian only sees the part of the visit that's in the clinic, right? We don't see the before, the difficulty getting the cat and carrot, and we don't see the after, right? right. The cat might be affected for a day or more by the stress of the event. So I think it's good for owners to speak up and say, hey, here's what happened before. I don't think any vet would want me as an owner, but um, you know, most veterinarians are, are telemedicine now. They don't let you in their clinic, and my cats need their shots. So I put it off as long as I could, and I wheedled and said, come on, let me be inside there. And I said, well, I have to talk to the technician first because I'm bringing this treat, and the whole time you're treating them, you have to feed it to them. Or, or I have to be in there with them because I'm adamant about that because it, it, it makes a difference to them. I can put on their heart, you know, their heartworm and flea medicine while they're eating it, um, anything. And I don't want to lose that. You have to practice that. I think that's the other thing I would say to veterinarians to tell their owners, practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can damage that, you know, that, that, that bond or that, that trust easily, right? Right. Yeah. right. Especially with a cat. Yeah. They, they don't forgive you for those things. <laughs> yeah. So the, the other thing I was really interested in from the book is, is you talk about normal behaviors that can drive owners totally bananas. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was intriguing. Well, scratching's a big one, yeah. and um, we strongly discourage in the book decline. Um, I'm proud to say it's illegal in most of Canada now, by the way. Not all, but most. It's not illegal in most of the United States. Um, and basically what we say in our statement is that if someone is, has a compromised health and wants a cat, and is afraid that they'll get infected, whatever, from the claws, then that might be a reason to declaw a cat. And I do think it is a reason, even though it is an extreme surgery, but I don't want to deny someone the enjoyment of a cat. But they still have teeth, though. What? They still have teeth. I mean, you don't take all the teeth out because you're immunocompressed. 
But, you know, cats, what I'm talking about is, well, I have a big scratch on my arm right here from, you saw what the, she was climbing on my arm. She did that by trying to get off. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So most cats don't try to bite you. Yeah. They, they jump on you and they have their claws out or they're trying to climb up on you and they have their claws out. Um, I don't think there's ever a reason to take out teeth in, in any animal. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but I and decline is a surgery that is really not necessary. And we talk about it. Scratching is one of those behaviors. So we have a long part in that chapter about you don't need to declaw your cat. We don't feel that that's necessary. Here's how you can get your cat to scratch in the right place. Um, what's another normal behavior? Being up high. Mm-hmm. And that's a normal behavior. But that subsides as they get older. They don't do it as much. Uh, what else? Uh, some cats will steal food. Yeah. Some cats are food stealers. That is a normal behavior, even if you don't want it to have happen. Yeah. Um, they sleep on furniture. Those are normal behaviors that you have to get used to. We talk about all of those. Getting on counters. Yeah. That's a big one that really drives people nuts. Getting on counters and uh, how can you keep them off? And there's an example in there of someone who was yelling and squirting her cat with water and then she f- realized her cat wouldn't come to her anymore so we we make them understand that you know there's a downside to doing that and we talk about well get a stool that's right at your height of your table and teach your cat to stay there and so most of them are things that cats just normally like to do that you can teach them to do something else instead <laughs> I miss any Mm-hmm. Did I miss Can any? I say, oh gosh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are more, but those are the big ones. Um, it does lead me into cats that meow at night. I, I have one before you go there. Oh, sure. The cat that meows that they want to go outside and then ah. they're outside for like half a second and then they want to go inside. And as soon as you put them inside, they start meowing because they want to go outside. Well, let me, let me give you a story to see if that helps, okay? <laughs> People always assume two things. When their cat meows, that it wants food, which is not true, right? or that perhaps it wants to go outside, okay? And you need to be able to ask your cat questions and get the answers. And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. But um, it's all about training your cats, okay? I'm going to use the story of my kittens who are now, you can't see, they're, they're curled up. It is like 90 degrees outside. It's, it's not that hot in my house. And they're in this kitten ball just smushed together. One of my cats, the one that you didn't see, she likes a very clean litter box. The other one doesn't care that much, but Nikki, that's her job. When I come down in the morning and she has a loud voice, and she nags me until I clean out the litter box and give her a fresh bowl of water. And when I'm done with that, she's done, unless Bella, which is the lighter one, wants some canned food. And then she comes back and nags me some more. So the cat may not actually be asking to go out. The cat may be looking for something to do. And uh, each of my cats have some favorite toys. And so sometimes when they're obnoxious and I know the litter's clean, they have food dispensing toys there. If they wanted to get food to eat, they could get food to eat. I check to make sure because I forget. Then I go find one of their toys and, and get them to play and then they feel better. 
mm-hmm. or I bought new toys. So it's, they usually want something, but because they're at the door doesn't necessarily mean they want to go out, but they know that's where they get your attention. I think a, another real classic one there is um, cats greeting behavior, right? When So, you know, when you come home and the cat is meowing and twisting around your legs and um, uh, I've had a lot of clients who misinterpret that as my cat's hungry. You know, I've come home and now my cat wants to eat, but they're probably just saying, hi, haven't seen you all day. How was your day? I slept, I ate, I slept, I ate, you know, what you do. (laughs) Right. And, but I, I found that some cats are really picky. They like the water very cold. My cats do fresh from the fountain. And, And I posted another video, the tortie is fascinated with water coming from the faucet, but she has no idea how to use it. So she like goes like this. And but she likes a fresh topped off bowl of water. I use very wide. That's another thing that we talk about, although I don't know that whisker stress is a real thing. I mean I think it's a real thing. I do too. Um, I, I do think they like a wider bowl to uh, drink out of, and they like it right to the top. I came down this morning, again, it's very hot here. I came down this morning, and usually it's to the very top, and it was down this much. They were really thirsty, it was just so hot. Um, So I think that sometimes they're just asking for things that, they have no thumbs. Yep. (laughs) And and you you talked about whisker stress? really know what that is but people say um, that cats don't like to have their whiskers moved when they are eating in a bowl I guess I have always fed my cats in fairly wide bowls and their whiskers I guess fit inside uh, I now feed them well now they eat out of a toy but their water bowls are like this um, I can imagine that if you have whiskers, that they're pretty sensitive and they don't like to be bent. So depending on how um, sensitive the individual is, I don't know that it's stress as much as it's uncomfortable. But then, you know, you see cats put their head through stuff where their whiskers go back. All the time. Yeah, I think it just depends on the tension, and I don't think there is a, such a thing as whisker stress. Unless you're Nikki and someone's licking off your whiskers. Yeah. <laughs> that would be different. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie, this, this has been great. I think that we're already at the end of, uh, of the second one, and we can talk about this forever, but I would advise everybody to buy this amazing book. It's called Decoding your cat or the cat. Uh, it is the follow-up of decoding something else. There, decoding uh, your I'm cat. Very, very excited about it. And you're showing it, although this is a podcast, Debbie, so they probably will not be able to see that. But, but we'll put a link. But we'll put on, on the link. And uh, and definitely, I am uh, I'm determined to uh, get the book and read about it. I'm very excited that you all... I'm going to try and get you copies. Yay! Oh, thank you. And then uh, we will uh, get some extra copies uh, to yep. uh, to give away from the per- yeah. podcast for uh, fans. That uh, so in one of our next uh, episodes, we'll let you know how you can win one of those uh, amazing. That would be fantastic. 
That is Thank great. you for so, having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm going to think of something new I can do so I can be on again. <laughs> you're, you're always a great guest, um, yes. uh, I like Debbie, it. because there's, like you know, there's so much to talk about, um, isn't there? And it's always fascinating. I learn stuff from you all the time. You, you and I from you. Well, you don't know what um, an impact you've had on, on veterinarians everywhere um, and no one... Uh, no one more than than me so i've learned oh so well, you're so kind that's what yeah, I know. i've learned so much from you i i channel my inner um dr horowitz when i when wow. i talk to other veterinarians or i talk to uh, cat owners so um so decoding your cat is a way for everybody to channel their inner doctor well, that's really nice i i really do i like uh i like talking to people i like educating people you like it's my what you do that's great yeah so, okay. so thank you Thank you so much. And uh, and if you want more information about perpodcast, perpodcast.net. That's right. And we'll see you next week. Thanks okay. so much. Bye. Bye. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast.